You have news? There's so much, man. Like, this is a, there are some big, well, not so much, so much as like quantity wise, but there are some big topics to talk about this week. I think this is actually probably, again, from like a substance standpoint, but not like a, a number of topics standpoint. This is maybe our heaviest news week that we've had since we started doing this show. Oh, so big things happening in your life to this week, eh? Well, in, yeah, I mean, well, in the world of m- movies. I, oh, we're talking about, oh, I was asking, like, personally, do you have news about your life? But oh, sure, uh, we can talk no, about movie news. No, not really. I don't I don't, <laughs> don't have a lot of news. Uh, but hello and welcome to the Movie Men podcast. The B-Team. That's Carl. That's Brady. Yeah, yeah, that is. And um, yeah, so we're just going to dive right in to our weekly news show. Because, like I said, there's there's some there's some hot to trot topics here, um, and actually the first topic is not even in the show notes I sent you. Uh oh. So what? So wah wah. Oh, um, now, I'm, now I'm completely unprepared. No, you're not. You're actually not. You'll be completely prepared. It's all good. Um, so we talked. I don't know if it was last week or the week before. We talked about how Bob Odenkirk was apparently starring in a remake of Tommy Wiseau's The Room. Oh, yeah. And we lamented and we talked about, you know, why. And I actually kind of theorized and arrived at the point that, you know what, maybe this actually makes perfect sense. Like, this is totally something you should do. You came up with it's sort of like the the actor's litmus test that just like every two years, they should remake The Room with a different set of actors and... And the determining factor for your acting skills should be if you can make a good, if you can make the room good. <laughs> yeah, without <laughs> can, changing anything about Without it. changing the script, without changing anything. If you can just, if you can sell those scenes, then <clears throat> you've got skills. Well, it appears that this is the season of Tommy Wiseau. Go figure. Oh, I know what we're talking about. Because just three days ago, um, Tommy Wiseau on his YouTube channel dropped the trailer for his new film, Big Shark. Big Shark, <laughs> like big shark. A big shark, just big, just, just like you know. I wonder what this film's about. <laughs> this, yeah, I think it might be this, about a big shark. Oh and it's man. like it, the, the title alone screams B movie. Like, yeah, it's it's. I can't figure out if it's better or worse than like Sharknado. <laughs> so I watched this trailer and um, <clears throat> it's it's every bit as awful as you would expect it to be. Um, yeah, it looks, but it, it literally looks like the room's trailer. <laughs> it, it has, strangely, it has sort of a, um, it, it, it just has like a Tommy Wiseau charm to it though. Like, it, yeah. It's a horrible trailer, but you go into it expecting it to be horrible because it's Tommy Wiseau, and you're like, "Huh, okay, yep, that's like this is this is what I was expecting, and this is what I got." Um, as a as a trailer, like we've talked many, many, many times, and the purpose of a trailer is to take your excitement level from wherever it is currently and bump it up. 
Um, in that regard, this trailer fails. I, I, <laughs> I, you know, we, you and I, and more than likely Pete, make no mistake, we will watch and review this film on this podcast. But I'm not like, you know, nothing popped out where I was like, oh, this looks, this looks great. Like I'm, I'm needing to see this. Um, but I'm going to make before I pass things over to you and get your your thoughts on this, I'm going to make a prediction. And my prediction is because of the room and the legacy that it had, because of The Disaster Artist, which was a film about the making of The Room, and because of now news surfacing that we are getting a Room remake. If this film gets a theatrical release, and I don't know what kind of budget like it, co- it costs money the more theaters yeah. you want to put this thing in the more money you have to have <clears throat> and i don't know what his budget is i don't know how much of a theatrical release they could even afford but i'll tell you right now even if it's it, and it wouldn't even have to be you could do video on demand you could stick it up online where people have to buy it or rent it for five bucks or whatever it is i think this film yeah, it's not going to set any records box office wise, but I think it's going to do unreasonably well. <laughs> like I really, I really do think there's enough curiosity out there. There's enough just sort of jumping on the bandwagon and riding this bizarre House of Mirrors, Coney Island freak show train that we're all on with T- Tommy Wiseau, and. People are just gonna want to see it, see it. They're gonna they're gonna love to hate it, and they're going to vote with their wallets. I think that's that's that is my prediction. Anyways, you saw the trailer. Um, I know that you're a a closeted diehard Tommy Wiseau fan. Um, so, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on the trailer for Big Shark? Ah, man, it's. It's a Tommy Wuso Wiseau film. <laughs> it's gonna be interesting. Um, I'm sure the plot will be unfollowable, <laughs> and the script will be hilariously horrible. And <laughs> I don't right. know. Oh man! Like <clears throat> one of the uh, the thing that is interesting for me about both Tommy and kind of the room by proxy and, and this is that like you said, making films costs money, Mm -hmm. putting them in theaters costs money. Like astronomical money. Tom, Tommy, there's like, nobody knows a lot about Tommy Wiseau and his actual, where he comes from, what he did. Yeah. Nobody knows. But he seems to have like this bottomless there's like bank account. Like cuz because the room, he he personally funded the entire bankroll of of the room. Yeah. But like Which was 6 million dollars. Yeah. Like that's a lot of freaking money and, and especially okay, for not like only 20 was it years not ago. only was it that much money to film, right? But he overpaid for like everything. Yeah. Like he, he got more stuff for the, for it. Like the film 
realistically should have been like less than half of that to make, but he yeah. just like went way overboard because he, he didn't care about around. money. Yeah. And nobody knows where this money comes from, <laughs> how he makes it because he doesn't seem to work outside of making films. But anyway, there's been so many, like I've, I've like, read almost dissertations on, on the enigma that was the funding for the room. Yeah. So there, so in terms of like big shark, (laughs) I love that name. (laughs) It's not even that big. (laughs) No, it's like a, it's just like a normal size. Great white shark. Yeah. It's not like, like if you saw this shark, it's not, in passing, you're on a boat and you saw this shark. You might turn to your friend and go, "That was a pretty big shark," but, <laughs> yeah, but not yeah. like, yes. not like, "Holy shit, look at that shark!" Like, that's, we need that's to. Like, is that a megalodon? <laughs> yeah, we need to call the science community. We need to. No, it's just like oh, it was yeah. a big shark. Oh man, but it's um, the the CGI for this thing. I kind of half expected it to be a little better, I guess, because of the bankroll that he can kind of mm-hmm. fund. I mean, it's kind but of guess, in line with like Sharknado and stuff, though, right? Like it's yeah. That. But I, but like, I guess my my thought here is like, even even if you've got all the money in the world, it doesn't mean you can't get the best people. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. I think also maybe <laughs> my mind my mind's just kind of rambling here. Like maybe it's less, maybe it's less like he's got the money to pay the best people but the best people won't work, work with him. Maybe it's less that and more. He's got all the money to buy, pay the best people, but the people he thinks are the best are, not are the only best. subpar uh, or, yeah, or average. Not the best. Yeah. I don't it's know. Like, oh man, that shark you made looks amazing. And the guy's just like, I'm only halfway through, through CGI school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is, I, I don't even this, know how to use all the tools. This, this is just a previs. No, I love it. <laughs> I love it. So this is I don't great. know. Printed. I don't know. It's oh man. Uh, it's going to be interesting. This will be a uh, night where the three of us sit down. We're gonna have to order a pizza, and we're just gonna have alcohol. to have to just like <laughs> laugh, subvert pause all it frequently, expectations. laugh our butts off. Yeah. All right. Oh, moving man. on. <laughs> when Tommy, when the topic comes up of old films and i don't mean like i'm not talking wizard of wizard of oz old i'm not talking sound of music old just like older 20 20 years plus kind of films 80s 90s films we grew up with films we grew up with a film that i have always felt is extremely underrated extremely underappreciated a film that when you think of the lead actor from this film and you think of the movies he's been in, this doesn't necessarily always come up in conversation. And I think that that's a damn shame. Because one of my favorite go-to old 90s films is a little film called Blast from the Past. And Mm -hmm. it stars Alicia Silverstone. It stars Brendan Fraser. It stars Christopher Walken. Yeah, um, and started many people on drinking hot Dr. Pepper <laughs> because that's what 
Christopher Walken, he will only drink hot Dr. Pepper, um, which I have had. And it's pretty good. Like, it's it's not, you know, it's not refreshing, but it's kind of like Dr. Pepper cider at that point. It's it's, it's pretty good. Um, and it's an excellent film. Like I said, I love it. I, I, I think it's incredibly underrated. I think it's got a cult following of people who really enjoy it, and I'm definitely a part of that. Um, but it's it's not a film that I've ever heard any sequel buzz about. Because the story's kind of done by the Closed end. Closed ended. Yeah. yeah, it's a pretty it doesn't, you know, it doesn't leave a lot of room for, you know, well, then what happens? Because the main premise of the film is is sort of wrapped up, right? The whole the whole notion that they're rediscovering this new world and 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 having it revealed to them that the bombs didn't actually go off. There was just a plane that crashed like in their backyard or in their neighborhood. And that's what they, the, the crazy doomsday prepping father locked them all for, I think it's like 30 years or something. Right. Yeah. It's like 30 years. They're, they're locked in that bunker. Um, but we're, we're in the, the Brendan Fraser Renaissance of, of Fraser Renaissance, if you will. He's, his comeback is near and nigh. Yes, he's um, after the whale and what he did in that. After well, what would have been the Batgirl movie, um, and even I'm even going to include his role in Doom Patrol because I mean you don't get to see a lot of Brendan Fraser in that show because he's playing a giant robot, um, but he's still like, he, he's getting jobs, and obviously he just won the Oscar for Best Actor. So he is a hot commodity in Hollywood right now, right? People are going to be clamoring to hire Brendan Fraser to come be in their films because he comes with a certain amount of clout. Well, in a recent interview, Alicia Silverstone, who played the love interest in Blast from the Past, said that she would love to do a sequel to Blast from the Past. Now, this isn't, Shouldn't be super surprising because this is, you know, Alicia Silverstone, who's also having a little bit of a renaissance right now, not to the degree that Brendan Fraser is, um, but has kind of re-entered the scene. Um, you know, for her, for her to say, I'd really like to do a film with the actor that's that's on the tip of everyone's tongue right now. The, the, the one that just won that, Best Actor. The actor that everybody's talking about. The <clears throat> actor that's going to be a box office draw. I, I, of course you do. I mean, everybody does. Actor wants work. Go figure. Exactly. But let's let's place that aside for a second and let's talk about the idea of doing a sequel. You know, I think it could be interesting. To do if you if you you know aged everyone appropriately and and you said it now it's in the the second decade of the twenty first century or third decade third decade of the twenty first century and um you know and and they're still just trying to adapt but then that seems kind of weird because it's like okay well now it's been twenty five plus years so have you not adapted already like what's i don't know i don't know where you would go with this premise 
But I do love the original so much that, you know, I'd be open to it and and I'd be excited for it if it happened. Um, I'm not going to hold it to the standards of the original. And my philosophy, as is always the case, give me a sequel to anything. Remake anything. I don't care. Because I still have the original. I can still watch the original. I still love the original. If we get a great film, then sweet. We have another awesome film. If we get a total dud, a dumpster fire, then I don't have to ever watch it again. And I've still got my original. I feel that way more about remakes than I do sequels just because my OCD kind of takes over as far as canon goes. And I'm like, okay, well, but now you've made that part of the canon of this universe. You've made these events something that that has happened in this universe, and I can't just ignore that. Um, but I think that applies less to something like Blast from the Past because it's not like a canon writ. It's not a world where we're, like, you know, discussing the canon of Black Bass. blast from the past um and also it hurts less when it's likely to be the last film made in a series anyways because then you can just pretend that one doesn't happen right whereas if all of a sudden now they're making a blast from the past three well then the events of two are harder to ignore i don't see them making a third one i have my (laughs) doubts they're going to make a second one i don't see them making a third one but my question for you is a do you think that's even in the cards? Do you think that a blast from the past two might happen? If it does, if it were to happen, if they announce tomorrow blast from the past is going into production, s- subvert the fact that you don't want this and you think it's dumb because I already know what you're going to say. <laughs> what? Let's let's say you're in the writers' room. You don't have a choice. This is happening. You're moving forward. Where would you take the story? If your hand was forced, you had no choice, what would you set up as your premise 25 years later for Blast from the Past 2? I mean, I I don't know. How do you... Maybe the film starts out somehow similar to the first one. Somehow they ended up in a bunker and they have a kid. And it's more about their kid, like kind of almost like a a, a re like a um, a remake, but it's still a sequel. You know what right. I mean? A requel? A requel? Yeah. Brendan Fraser is now Christopher Walken's character, but he's still Adam. And you could That's, still have Christopher Walken in it. Yeah. So, I, but um, I don't, it just, yeah. How do you, the, the, the appeal, yeah, the appeal of the first one is that this very sweet, charming, um, uh, in a very innocent minded, fully grown man emerges into this, well, normal world. Yeah. He's <laughs> which, been raised nor- by which 1960s kind of, textbooks and the music yeah. of Perry Como. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> the, everything he believes is kind of the opposite of what the rest of the world does and acts. <laughs> um, how, and he's, he's now living there for how, like how many, when do you set this? Like 
directly after, well, that's not going to work. They're all too old. So like if you're going to cast the same actors and not, and not remake it, you're going to do an actual sequel. Then it's got to be kind of like a, another 20, 30 year jump. Right. Which means they got to have a kid. So it's more about the kids experiences than, than the parents or them navigating parenthood with a teenager Mm -hmm. or, um, or older. I think a teenager would probably play better, but like, do you, how do you make that kind of give that child, that teenager the same innocence without locking them in a bunker for. Right. Cause that, cause that was the point is that he was, he was a man out of time. He yeah. was from a more idealistic. He time traveled without time, time traveling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He hadn't been exposed to the corruption of the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Or the world in general. Do you think it, it, is there any chance that this happens? I don't I don't see it. I can't The only way I can see it actually happening is if they do a full reboot and you just cast Brendan Fraser as the dad and mm-hmm. Silverstone as the mom. Mm-hmm. And some new hotshot actor is the son. Yeah. I don't know. I Tom Holland. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't want it though. I don't care. Why do you, no. why do we why do we need another one? What's yeah. the point? I just and write I a, just write a new script and call it something else. It pains me to agree, but I do agree. I do agree. <laughs> I it, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. Uh, okay, so moving on. Listen, love or hate Tom Cruise. Be a Tom Cruise fanboy like Pete. Be a sort of warming up to Tom Cruise, the way I am, but still not drinking the Kool Aid and fairly dubious the way that I am. Um, and I, I kind of get the impression that you're even less hot on Tom Cruise than I am. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't understand the, the why he's so popular. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's made one... some good, I'll give it that he's made some good films and he is a good enough actor to make it in Hollywood, but I don't think he's, I, I would, I would say that Nicolas Cage is a better actor than he is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's easily like, okay. there's no way he's a great actor. And the we, one- we, yeah. We, and we kind of had this discussion between the three of us that we kind of started this discussion about like, he, he's a star, but he's not an actor. <laughs> right. Um, he's got, he's got pull, but he's not, he doesn't, he's not great at his craft. The one thing, regardless, that I think just about nobody can can refute is that when it comes to actors in Hollywood, very few actors have the power, the the pull, the ability to get what he wants when he wants and how he wants it that Tom Cruise has. And part of that is his level of fame and success. Part of that is that he's also worked as a producer on on most of his films, but also many other films. Part um, of that is Scientology. <laughs> well, <laughs> but but he does. He's got a lot of pull, yeah. right? Like if yeah. Tom Cruise, if, he's if you're if you're in Hollywood and and you know the phone rings and someone says Tom Cruise wants a meeting with you. 
you're not saying no to that. <laughs> you're, you know, you don't know what Tom Cruise is after, but you go meet with the guy because it's Tom Cruise and he's called a meeting. Um, well, it sounds like recently Tom Cruise was having a meeting with David Zaslav, the head of Warner Brothers, the big, big wig head cheese over at you. Over at Warner <laughs> Brothers. And that right there is interesting. We take everything else we're about to say off the table. That right there is interesting and and can yeah. lead to all sorts what, what of What was the original meeting about? Yeah, what are they meeting about? Well, it sounds like during this meeting, David Zaslav was talking up this upcoming Flash film that they have. And everything that we've heard, every time we report on the Flash, good or bad news... The one thing that has always remained consistent is that anybody who has seen this film says that this is a great film, that it turned out amazing, and that the studio is very proud of it. Even people who like have nothing to gain from saying this have said it's incredible. Like it's it's a magnificent film, which warms my heart, makes me so happy to hear. But it sounds like during this meeting, David Zaslav was was talking up this this flash film, and that piqued the interest of Tom Cruise. And Tom said, "I'd I'd kind of like to watch it. Like, can I see it? I you know you you you're telling me this is so awesome. I just put your money <laughs> where your mouth is. I you know I'd like to see this movie." And David Zaslav, I think realizing that you know you don't say no to Tom Cruise said, sure, yeah, sure, we'll let you watch it. Um, and this was no ordinary, this wasn't like they just, you know, sent him a link over to, at home, he opened his email and there was the link and he streamed it or he watched it or, you know, whatever. They a, walked into the next room where there's the fully blown theater. And no, so this did happen at home. It happened at Tom Cruise's house, but a- So a full, full-blown theater. A full-blown theater, yeah. <laughs> A Warner Brothers representative brought a physical copy of the film over to Tom Cruise's house, stayed while Tom Cruise watched the movie, and then took the physical copy of the movie back with him back to the studio. <laughs> like, it was a very, like, you know, I'm picturing a guy <laughs> showing up with a, a handcuffed to a briefcase. <laughs> <laughs> Right, like it's got that it's, kind of. It, it's probably, probably more like a a DV a Blu-ray in his back pocket in one of those paper. <laughs> I'm paper I, CD holders. Exactly. I'm gonna and actually because it's Tom Cruise and because Tom Cruise has such a love for for cinema, I'm going to wager. I don't even know that he watched it on digital. I wonder if they sent it over and he watched it on film, like eight millimeter. Which would which would be pretty cool, mm. and is the way to watch it. I think. Um, anyways, it sounds like after watching this, Tom Cruise loved it so much that he said two things and did one thing. He said, "This is everything you want in a movie. This is absolutely everything that you want in a movie." He also said, this is exactly the kind of movie that we need right now. Now, those are two 
very big statements, not only coming from someone as big as Tom Cruise, but also coming from the person who just brought us Top Gun Maverick, the the box office juggernaut that was Top Gun Maverick. And so th- that's high praise. That's very high praise. Yeah. The other thing that is very high praise is that Tom Cruise asked to speak with the chef. Tom Cruise was so impressed with this film that he cold called the director of the film. This was not set up. This was not, the director was not expecting a call. He tracked down the the contact info for the director of the film, called the director, and personally expressed, what a fantastic film you've made. That this is, this is, top-notch it's next level which is again it's just like you know you're sitting in a restaurant is the greatest steak you've ever at, ever eaten in your life somebody comes over with a f- red phone on a platter yeah i do please <laughs> excuse I'd me like, sir i'd like to speak with the chef i'd like to give my compliments to him personally which never happens but happens all the time in the movies because apparently that's what you do but um yeah, I, this is high praise. This is high praise. This is a big deal. Um, it's exciting. It's one more. It's one more piece of of excitement for me. Uh, my expectations, my excitement level for the Flash it, are already through the roof. Ninety percent of that is Michael Keaton as Batman. Um, yeah, but this is this is this is high praise. I, you hear this? You hear that Tom Cruise, arguably the biggest name in movies right now has seen the flash has said this is everything we need everything you want in a movie it's exactly the movie we need right now and he cold called the director in order to give his compliments to the chef what are your thoughts i want to know what else he asked him (laughs) or or what what the director uh I just I just googled the director of the Flash, Andre. What Andre? If Andre was like, "Oh, that's nice. Can I direct the next Mission Impossible?" <laughs> yeah. My my thought is more about like what else was happening in the conversations, right? Like well, I don't and, feel like Tom Cruise, like, and specifically that Warner Brothers meeting. Yeah. Like, what was that meeting about? Is yeah. Tom Cruise coming over to the DCU? <clears throat> I I doubt that that's what that's about because i feel like that meeting would have then happened with james gunn yeah so like tom cruise to me as a individual not as an actor from what i've kind of known and have heard of him he's a pretty he seems like a very selfish self-centered guy so i can't i have a hard time picturing him calling andre just to say good job congratulations like i feel like he watched the film. He's like, this guy can do something with something I'm working on or want to work on. I need to lock him down. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've gotten the total opposite impression. I've got, I've got the impression that Tom Cruise is a delight to work with and that he cares about the craft and about the crew. And that, but. that doesn't mean he's can't be, he's not a very selfish individual. Like, I mean, this isn't really the place or time to get into that, but no. <laughs> yeah. No, I just wanted to, I want, I wanted to, I wanted to iterate that that is not yeah. the, the official opinion of the movie men podcast. No, that's my personal opinion as a movie man on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
but no, uh, it's yeah. Uh, I, I I'm just and like and part of this is because I don't really care too much what Tom Cruise thinks or has to say about it. I think it's interesting that he thinks it's a good, really good film. Interesting enough that he reached out to the director. Um, yeah. But, um, that's, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. All right. Move on. Next. Moving thing. on. You know, I'm, I love comedy. Comedy is, is probably one of my favorite film genres. And <clears throat> I've said for a while that we're in this weird, kind of dark ages of comedy films where, you know, let's say you have a comedy film coming out twice a month, right? 24 comedy films a year, which is I'm just saying for easy math. Okay. I think four of them might be kind of funny. Like, I, I, we just seem to be in this, like, comedy rut, in my, in my humble opinion. Um, yeah, there are certainly... There are certainly um, exceptions to that, right? I think, yeah, yeah. But um, but it's not it's not like it was back in the two thousands. No, lowbrow comedy has kind of taken the throne of the comedy circuit, and it's really not that funny. No, Um, but when you talk about two thousands, which I think is is I mean uh, the. 80s were fantastic for comedy. The 90s were golden for comedy. And the 2000s were just like comedy films. Comedy was king in the 2000s. And it was kind of, I think, the last great decade of comedy films. And when you think about 2000s comedies, if you were to put together a list of the top 10 2000s comedies, now this film's not going to show up on everybody's list, but a film that's going to show up on a lot of lists, not only as being very funny, but just being so iconic and quotable and there's constant references made to it, is the film Mean Girls. I remember, like, I remember when that film came out and it was, it, it just instantly became a part of the lexicon. People were quoting it all the time, right? Whether it was like, oh, she doesn't even go here. Like that was that was on T-shirts. It was everywhere. Uh, directed by Tina Fey, I believe. Am I getting that wrong? I think it's um, Tina Fey's <clears throat> movie. She's she's a big part of it. Yeah, she's in it for it sure. Together. But I think she also. Hang on, I don't want to make an ass of myself any more than usual here. Um, directed by no, directed by Mark Waters. Okay. Oh, she, it was written. The screenplay was written by Tina Fey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I think Tina Fey is hilarious. So you attach Tina Fey to something and the odds of it being funny and the odds of it being good instantly go up considerably. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Lindsay Lohan, Rachel McAdams, Tina Fey, um, Tim Meadows as Mr. Duval, the uh, the principal. Um, Amy Poehler's in it. Like, it's just, it's it's quite a cast of 2000s comedy actors. Now, like we said, the, like I said, the, the the legacy of Mean Girls has has been ongoing. There was a musical, a Broadway musical done at one point. 
there was, uh, I actually, I, I'm not going to say Broadway because I don't know if it was Broadway, but there was a stage production musical done. Um, like I said, people are still watching and still referencing Mean Girls to this day. Mean Girls made a bunch of money <laughs> and continues to bring in money just because of, of the culture that was built around it. Now, for those who don't know, Mean Girls is based on a book. It was a book before it was a movie. It was a book called Queen Bees and Wannabes. Uh, and it was written by Rosalind Wiseman. Now, Rosalind Wiseman, having written Queen Bees and Wannabes, was the intellectual owner of that property. And in order for Tina Fey and, and the good people over at the studio to make such a film, they would have to buy the rights. They have to, they got to come to an agreement and make a contract and sign that contract so that Rosalind, uh, Rosalind uh, Wiseman feels like she's been compensated fairly. And Rosalind Wiseman does not have to sign unless the dollar value that shows up on that contract is one that Rosalind Wiseman says, yes, yeah, that's fair. I'm happy. I agree with this. And that dollar value was $400,000. Now, by today's standards, that seems pretty low. <clears throat> that was that was the signing deal. That was the signing deal. That was Rosalind Wiseman said, I will take $400,000, and as a result, you can make a Mean Girls movie. You can, you can make <clears throat> content based off of my book. Right. With the, uh, I'm reading the article, an article here, but there, yeah, there's one, there is one, and you, I'm guessing you're getting there, but there is one, um, caveat to the to it outside of that. Um, well, so there was there was something built in where Rosalind was going to get a percentage of box office returns. Is that of, what you're talking of net about? Profit. Yes. Um, but that's specifically around the film's fight like theatrical financial run yeah and so uh, so she, she at the box office yeah, yeah so she won't make any money if then when they go on to make the mean girls musical based on the film which they can do because they own the film they mm -hmm. can't necessarily <laughs> go and base it off the book but they didn't do that they based it off the film Right, yeah. they couldn't make a musical and call it Queen Bees and Wannabes, but they could make a Mean Girls musical because now they own that. Um, so anyway, she was paid four hundred thousand dollars plus some extra little goodies in 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 box office return. Obviously, though, Mean Girls has made a hell of a lot more money than four hundred thousand dollars. It's made a lot of money, and and so did the musical, and so did everything else. Well, now over twenty years later, Rosalind. Wiseman has decided that she is going to sue the studio for more money. She's going to sue Paramount because, well, because Mean Girls has done so well and the studio has made so much money and I only got $400,000 as, as a result <laughs> of it. It was basically yeah. robbed from me. I'm going to say something that might be unpopular. So, Buckle up. Sit down and shut up, Rosalind. You did not have to sign for four hundred thousand dollars. 
That was the agreed upon amount. You signed your name on that paper saying, yes, I agree. These are the terms I agree to. Go ahead and do this. And I heard someone talking about this online, and it's it's actually very interesting, and, and I agree with it 100%. I think it's an excellent way to put it into perspective. So Rosalind Wiseman said, I will take $400,000, and Tina Fey and Paramount said, okay, we're going to make Mean Girls. And Mean Girls did really, really, really well, and now Rosalind Wiseman is saying, I'd like some more money because it did a lot better than we thought it was going to. Right. Let's flip the script. Let's say Rosalind Wiseman had taken $400,000 from Paramount and they made Mean Girls and Mean Girls was a total flop. An absolute bust. What do you think the percentage is? What are the chances between one or between zero to 100%, what are the chances that had that happened and Mean Girls was a financial disaster that Rosalind Wiseman would have contacted Paramount and said, you know what, you took a chance on my book, it didn't work out, here's some of your $400,000 back. It didn't do as well as you thought, so you you overpaid. You overpaid, so right. I'm going to help you out. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm going to give you back money. I'm going to give you back some money. My, my product didn't sell. She wouldn't do it. You wouldn't no. do it. I wouldn't no. do it. And so for the opposite, to for the reverse to be happening where she's like, well, they underpaid. Now I want more. It's stupid. And it's not going to go anywhere. And it's dumb. And it's just someone who has not seen much success since. Nobody's coming and knocking at her door saying, we'd like to buy the rights to your whatever. She's probably burned through her $400,000, as is very easy to do in today's economy. And and now she wants more. She wants more money for an agreement that she made 20 plus years ago. And it's stupid. That's my opinion. You hear all this. What are your thoughts? Uh, and I, I, I'm, I agree with you. <laughs> uh, the only exception here would be if for some reason, and it's not uh, for me, my personally, I don't think it's a stretch for a studio to do this. They're, 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 they don't want to pay out the money. So they're saying it did make money that, that, right. that net profits on, uh, profits, uh, residuals gain dependent on the movie fares at the box office. If it, if for some reason the studio is like, well, we, we paid her 400,000. We don't have to pay her anymore. Let's just say it didn't make money. You know, if, so, if she is actually owed money and that is what she's fighting for, she realizes, Hey, you know what? I'm pretty confident this had a pretty good box office and they're, they're stiffing me then yeah you don't fight for the money that's in your contract for Mm -hmm. sure Mm -hmm. right there they owe you that movie and they're stiffing you yeah if this is kind of the way you're pinning it up as as like this movie and the things that have been made after it have made a lot of money and i'm getting no credit or monetary gain from it and i deserve it as its original creator yeah sit up shut down sit up shut down (laughs) sit up shut down 
<laughs> sit up shut down it's like a protocol you made your droid. bed lie in it right yeah um, um i'm gonna this say would be something. like this would be like george lucas go trying trying to come back and re uh, uh force disney to let him direct or let him do something with disney or with star wars you know, you, you sold it for a hell of a lot of money. You, you've right. you've given up that right, right? So I'm gonna, I'm going to say something that that actually debunks this theory. Um, it's it's and and not many people know this, so it's 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 not like oh you should have known this, dummy. Um, it's impossible for a film studio to misrepresent their box office numbers because. It's not the film studio who reports the box office numbers. So the way box office numbers work is there is one company. The company is called Rentrack. Um, it's based out of the States, but it, it, it operates for Canadian films. It operates for European films. It operates. It, it is the, the box office company. And it's a third-party company, so it has no... It has no bias. It has no stakes in any of these studios. And what happens is every day, every day at the end of the day, movie theaters send it. It happens all automatically within the system. But all of the ticket sales box office information gets sent from every movie theater to the company Rentrack. And Rentrack then takes and aggregates all those numbers. And Rentrack is the company that is responsible for the box office numbers. They're the ones that that are in the position to say, this is what Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania made. This is what Mean Girls made. This is what um, Homeward Bound made. I don't know why that was the thing I went to. But um, yeah, so it's actually... It's 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 impossible for Paramount to say it's impossible for Mean Girls to have made four hundred million, mm. and for Paramount to say, oh, it only made two hundred and fifty million, because it, it it because those numbers don't come from Paramount, they're reported to Paramount from Rentrack, which is the same company that reports them to everyone else, to the trades, to Wall Street, to to boxofficemojo.com. They all come from this third-party company that gets that information directly from the movie theaters and the ticket sales. Right. So, so that's so what they can't, publicly they can't misint- mis- misinterpret the box office numbers. I, But that's not, she's not She's not saying gross profit. She, she her contract was net profit. They can misinterpret how much the film costs to make because mm-hmm. net profit is what you've grossed minus your expenses. Sure, yeah, right. And also, I was doing a little bit more reading in this entertainment uh, website uh, article. Weissman's uh, it sounds like this there's there this is more about theater adaption potentially Weissman claimed that a theater producer approached her decades ago about adapting her book into a musical but yes. Paramount and Faye denied the request 
yeah, they prevented said no, we don't her want to. from getting paid, citing ownership rights. Yep. So what? So basically, what happened was someone approached um, Rosalind Wiseman, and Rosalind Wiseman approached Paramount and said, "We should do like let's you know let's I want to work with you and let's get on on doing a a, a theater or a, a, a theater release, a stage release, stage production of this." And Paramount said, "No thanks." No, we don't want to. And then a number of years later, they decided to do it on their own, which was well within their legal right to do. Right? They 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 said, "No, we don't want to, you know, we're we're at this point in time, we don't want to do it and or we don't want to do it with you because you know, legally we can do this on our own and yeah. we're going to so, cut you out because we already paid you. We paid yeah. you an amount you agreed to." Yeah. Yeah, she's yeah. And the article says she's quoting that it's hard for her because they used her name on the playbill. But again, mm-hmm. this is back to the original thing. Like you sold your name when you to this and this with this product. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, the yeah. article later goes on to talk about how her lawyer wants to audit Paramount's book over the net profits issue as well. Yeah. So essentially, Carl, if you if you drew a, a really nice stick figure drawing, and I said, "That's pretty wicked, man. That's a wicked stick figure." Thank I you. will give you ten bucks. Hell yeah! You can give my stick figure for ten bucks. Yeah, I'll give you ten bucks. I'll give you ten bucks, and and now I own that stick figure. Right. Yeah. And and you in our discussion, it? I'm like, it. you know, you're like, well, what are you thinking of doing with it? And I'm like, oh, well, I think I might. Um, you know, I think I might stick it on a, a T-shirt. I'm going to sell some T-shirts with the stick figure. And you go, okay, good luck. <laughs> like, yeah, I'll take 10 bucks. Good luck with that. Um, and let's say I sell some T-shirts. <laughs> but let's say, excuse me, I coughed, so I muted my mic. Um, let's say I also then, because now I own, it. it you know, the, the, the our contract didn't say, I'm buying the rights to make t-shirts. No, I, I've, I've, I've bought the rights to this image, to making yep. things with this image. And so then I say, well, you know what? I'm going to also, like this, these t-shirts are kind of taken off. So I'm going to stick it on backpacks, posters, and lunch boxes. <clears throat> and, and your stick figure image becomes a worldwide phenomenon. I'm rolling in all kinds of money because everybody just cannot get enough of this stick figure image. And I paid you 10 bucks and, and that was fair. And I decided to go on and do other things with that image because I owned it and I ended up making $400 million. And, um, and now you're a little butthurt because you made a bad deal. Yep. I can be butthurt, but I can't ask for more money. Sorry. <laughs> you know? But hurts on my own end. Like I, that's my own problem. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, moving yeah. on. We're constantly talking about how old we are. You're old. I'm old. And one of the things that we use in in sort of a measuring stick, or that we have used as a measuring stick, is f- physical brick and mortar video rental stores. Right. Going back yeah. as far as, and I don't have any memory of this because I'm not quite that old. But when it started. When the idea of home video started, right? Because it used to be, you want to see a movie, you got to go to the theater. 
right? Movies yep. weren't really put on TV. Like there were TV shows, but they weren't airing movies on TV so much. And nobody had the means, unless you had a theater projector in your house, which don't really think anyone did. Maybe Hitchcock had one. I don't know. Um, there was no way to watch stuff at home. There just wasn't. And so it wasn't like you could even, it was, it was like the wild, wild west for movies because you had no way of, of rewatching the wizard of Oz unless they decided to do a, a theatrical release of it again. And you'd be like, Oh man, I haven't seen the wizard of Oz in in 12 years. I'm going to go see the wizard of Oz or maybe I'm 15 and I've never seen the wizard of Oz because it has not been in the theaters in my lifetime. So anyways, then we got home, home video, and there was a time, again, I'm not old enough to remember this, but there was a time that not only could you go to this video rental store and rent a VHS, you could also rent the, the VCR because, yeah. because VCRs were not cheap, and not everyone had one. And home video had not, like, maybe you didn't own enough VHSs yourself to actually, or you didn't own any, so you couldn't justify making this purchase. So you'd go, you'd rent your VCR, you'd rent your VHSs, you'd take them home, and you'd take it all back, you know, the next day or a couple days later. And one of the biggest names in, in um, video rental at least in the U.S., and it's, they kind of had a run in Canada as well, was Blockbuster. In Canada, our bigger... Blockbuster was not the bigger one. The bigger main chain... And this, again, we're going way back here. The bigger chain was... Um, what was it? It was just... I think it was just called Rogers Video. It was owned by Rogers. Um, and it wasn't in a lot of the small towns like you and I didn't have one in the town we grew up in, but no. the big cities had Rogers video, but blockbuster blockbuster became synonymous with video rental. And then blockbuster went the way of the Dodo bird, right? They physical media, renting physical media went out as soon as we could kind of start streaming stuff. And so it was much more convenient to do it that way. I'm sure pirating movies also hurt video rental yeah. quite a bit. Um, and, you know, Blockbuster really, really, really held on as long as they could. After denying working alongside, after denying a purchasing deal with, with Netflix, Blockbuster on their own started doing... Um, they they tried to do what blockbuster or what netflix had started out with right like blockbuster tried a a a mailing service where you could you could rent your thing and they'd mail you the disc that didn't really work out for them and then blockbuster closed they declared bankruptcy there was one and there's a documentary about it there was i think it was in was it oregon uh I think there's one in Alaska, and yeah, there's there's one somewhere else in the states. I think I don't this know. is like a fun novelty. This is the yeah. only reason that it's kicking like, around. There's one in Alaska because they need that still in Alaska, <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, there's like there's like a Netflix show about it, yes, or something like that about the last blockbuster. Well, some interesting things have started to happen. First of all, 
there has been some activity on whether it just be profile changes or it be sort of a, a nondescript, meaningless kind of post. There has been some activities taking place on Blockbuster's official social media pages. Also, if you go to Blockbuster's website, their web domain, it says, and apparently has said so as far back as, as Christmas time, and we're just kind of, everyone's just kind of noticing it now. Um, you just, the, the landing page that you end up on is just this page that says, you know, we're, we're busy working on rewinding your, your videos or rewinding your tapes or whatever it is. And this has led to some speculation. What's going on with Blockbuster? Is this just the people who still technically own Blockbuster having some fun and trolling people? <laughs> or is Blockbuster making a move? And it's interesting. Because if Blockbuster is, is going to come back as a company, it begs the question, well, what would that look like? And there's several options. I mean, Blockbuster... I think it's unlikely, but it is possible. It, we're you know we're living in this era where like v listening to music on vinyl has come back, <clears throat> right? Like this nostalgic retro form of physical media has has had a resurgence. It it's possible, however unlikely, that Blockbuster will come back as j just as they were as a brick-and-mortar video and video game rental store. I think that's the least likely option, but it yeah. is a possibility. <laughs> it is an option. The next option would be a video-on-demand service, right? So there's several of them out there already, but basically, you know, you would rent it digitally, Right, you could rent and buy movies digitally, so you can have your digital copy of it. Or, you know, hey, I don't want to sign up for a streaming service, or the, the movie that I want to watch just came out and it's not on any streaming services. I'll pay five bucks, rent it for the weekend. We can watch it on on our PlayStation or our Xbox or whatever it is, right, for the weekend. So that's a possibility. The third possibility. And an interesting one, and I don't think super far-fetched given the world and climate we're living in, would be that Blockbuster is going to come back as a straight-up streaming service. So those are the four options as I kind of see them. And maybe you see another, and I'll ask you in a second, but I'm going to recap those four. Either A, Blockbuster's just screwing with us. <laughs> Like it's just someone's got the login still, and they're you know they're having some fun. Two, Blockbuster is coming back the way that it was, brick and mortar store, maybe with some changes, right? Maybe it'll take on some of that, like you know they'll be selling more movie posters and pop figures and and whatever else, right? Sort of like a retro nostalgia store that also rents out videos. Which maybe adds some credence to that. It, it, you know, if they got into more of the merchandise stuff, then there could be something there. Three, 
I think it's possible that they're going to be a rental service, but strictly online. And four is that Blockbuster is going to go straight up streaming service on us. You hear these four options. Of those four options, which do you think is the most likely? And or is there a fifth option that I'm not thinking of? Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't think there's a fifth option. (laughs) But I'll work back through your options backwards with my opinions here. So streaming service. I would think that this would be impossible for anybody else, anybody to do that doesn't already own rights and properties of certain films and franchises. Yeah, right. It's gonna that'll be so, a big expensive startup. We talked last week about streaming services, and I was on a wiki page uh, that had list, was listing all all available streaming services, with the exception of Netflix. They were all studio based or or t or tv broadcasters streaming services no i think i i think you have to include netflix Um, in that as well too because netflix is their own studio now right like netflix makes now tons of original content but but like i mean they but like i mean they weren't (laughs) but i guess they are now yeah you're right you are they are now well, I mean, neither was but, Amazon, neither was Apple, right? And and they yeah. are now as well. I suppose they got a lot of money. Where's where's oh, where's so Blockbuster getting? Where's Blockbuster getting this money? No, but like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Netflix started when, it, like, we were talking about before last week. Netflix was the first, right? They they started from the ground. They built up to become the studio. Uh, Apple. They got they got bankroll. They can just start making movies, shows, and a streaming service. Amazon they got they got money. They can just start making movies and shows and streaming, right? Where's Blockbuster getting this money? Did they make a deal with the cartels? Like, uh, is, you? is this dirty money? Like, like there's no way they're bankrolling a studio out of nowhere. They don't have any clout. They don't mm-hmm. have any worth. Where are their connections? Just out of the blue, all of a sudden, hey, we're a streaming service slash studio. Right. No, no, no way in hell. This is, this is at, this is it. So, okay. So we're nixing, we're nixing the I, streaming service. I, I can't possibly believe that they're going to try and do a streaming service. Okay. Online rental space. Okay, this is possible, I think. Um, again, it's a, it's extremely oversaturated market between your streaming services. And if you don't have a streaming service and you're watching on your Samsung device or your gaming device or your Apple device, like whatever you're watching on, is already got a built-in rental service somewhere yeah like if i want to rent a, a show a show or a movie you can just go to the app store or the google i just Play go to the store. app store on my xbox and rent yeah. it no they're not always there for rent but i mean if blockbuster is going to try and get into this market it's already oversaturated they're going to have a hard time getting the life if, if xbox can't if i can't rent it on my xbox how the hell is blockbuster going to get 
the the ability to rent it on on whatever service they're trying to offer. Right. More likely, still, still a hard sell, but more okay. likely, okay. it seems more plausible. Them opening up stores, same as before. Well, but or possibly same as before, but different, right? Like, well, they're, yeah, they're going to have to be different. Yeah, and I'll get into that. <laughs> so, same as before, physical locations. I think this again is more likely than the previous two. Okay. Uh, I think it's um, more plausible. I don't, but I don't. In terms of a business model, I think it's doomed to fail. Right. I feel like the, if it, if it if it's oh, really quickly touching on the screwing with us. I mean, we're pretty close to April first, so maybe this is like a precursor to their, an April Fool's joke, <laughs> but uh, which I think is like the most likely <laughs> of all the all four. Um, but if that if we take that that out and and it has to be one of the three. Yeah, the the, M, the the brick and mortar store is most likely, but I think it's, I think they're just kind of shooting themselves in the foot and they're doomed to fail like they did when they decided not to to start str- doing what taking on Netflix in their own octagon instead of you know you know what I mean yeah instead of cha- instead of changing with the times to keep up with Netflix they 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 said no people still want to walk in our doors and then they died. I think going, hey, let's open some open some brick and mortar stores again. People will feel nostalgic and and do this do this thing. I think it'll work for a time, but it's doomed to fail. And I think this because all I have to do is I have to look at EB Games or GameStop, depending on if you're American or Canadian. Um, we got both up here. Uh, anyway, I worked at EB Games for about two years. Uh, about 15, 16 years ago. And it's just wall-to-wall games. The You look at an EB Games now, and half the store is games. The other half, like you were kind of alluding to with with uh, movies that, that Blockbuster might do, is merch, like kind of swag. So the model still works because EB Games still does it. They don't rent, they sell. But you look at that kind of transition that EB Games is, has been taking, and they've been taking that transition for a reason. People don't buy, there's are, are buying less and less hard copies of things. People are consuming their content digitally which means you take less of what people are buying off of your shelves and you put more of what might sell on the shelf. So EB games doesn't sell as much hard copies of games. So they use that shelf space to sell stuffies and pop Bob, uh, pop heads and uh, backpacks and board games and board games and other things that, D and D stuff and, you know, other things they're, they're becoming like a more generic gaming store. 
end uh, geek kind of paraphernalia store, right? They're they're trying to broaden who who will come into the store to buy stuff. <clears throat> so I think for the and it's and that it's only a matter of time before EB Games will have to shut its doors and close up shops because people are going to con- keep consuming. I, the last time I bought a physical copy of a game, it wasn't even for me. Like it's been probably well over seven years since I bought my, uh, myself a physical copy right. of a game. <clears throat> and I don't even have, if I want to buy a game for somebody now, if it's because I have an Xbox, if they have an Xbox, I don't even have to buy them a physical copy anymore. I can buy them a digital copy and gift it to them. Well, even if it's a di- like you could hop on Amazon and buy a game code, right? You yeah. can buy it, buy a, a, a redemption code for any platform and, and send it to someone. Yeah. So like, I don't, uh, I think this is just, no matter which way you slice it, it's whatever they try and do is dead in the water. <laughs> so you think it's most likely that they're just toying with people? I think that's the most likely option. This is just like a precursor to a like April. Like we're recording this on the 27th. April fools is Saturday. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> I feel like it's a precursor to some April fools joke. If it's not, then it's gotta be a brick and mortar thing and it's doomed to fail. Hmm. Interesting. I I can't I can't see anything they try and start working out. Right. Like anything they want to anything for anything for them to start anything <coughs> and it for it to be impactful and and like take up take well not take up take back enough of the um Shoot, my business school uh, education is uh, lapsing here. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the chunk of the market. The, uh, their market like share. The mar- their market share. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. Like the market can only be divided up so much. If a new player enters, there's not more share of the market created. They have to take pieces from other people that are already in the market. And the markets are already heavily saturated with streaming services and other other options. Yeah. So for them to come in and be able to take up enough market share for them to make a meaningful, lasting impact to stick around long term would require a huge bankroll, I think. And they just where they would get that, I don't know. I think I think it's just a pipe dream and nothing's going to happen. Interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see for sure what happens. Like if, if, yeah, it'll just be interesting to see how this plays out. If this is actually going to turn into something um, or if this is just, you know, this is just a big joke or a fart in the wind or who knows, who knows at this point. Uh, Moving on. So we talked about, uh, you and I reviewed Black Adam which was highly entertaining, but 
did dismally, dismally at the box office. Yeah. Total we both box thought it was office okay. disaster. Yeah, we thought it was fine. Yeah. yeah. It was a passable superhero film. <laughs> Shazam 2, you and I have not gotten around to reviewing yet, but we're going to. And if the box office numbers for that are any indication, it's also fine. <laughs> I've heard personally that it's very good and that there are other factors, whether it be Black Adam, whether it be, you know, the the fact that people are just kind of over this iteration of the DCU and and we just need to get past this and move on to to the new DC universe. I've heard that there are other factors influencing this this box office, but it hasn't done well financially at all. It's been a, a box office disaster. Now, some reports started surfacing a couple of days ago, maybe a week ago, and they were interesting reports, and but they were just kind of rumors. And then slowly as each day passed, we got a little bit more information, a little bit more information, until we finally got a confirmation in not so many words from Zachary Levi, who plays Shazam in the Shazam movies. And the rumor was that Dwayne Johnson, who had been in the process of making the Black Adam movie for 9, 10, was 11 years since Dwayne Johnson was announced as Black Adam, that they've been trying to get this movie made. Um, Dwayne Johnson, much like Tom Cruise, is another one of those names that has some pull, has some draw. You know, you, if if The Rock wants to take a meeting with you about some upcoming project, you just say, tell me when. <laughs> like, you just, you, he's, he's got pull, he's got power in the industry. And it was, it, and he was very big and heavy in the production of Black Adam. He was not just a character. He was not just an actor in that film, right? Black Adam was his baby. And he, you know, he was he was the driving voice behind getting the Henry Cavill cameo in the post-credit scene. Because that's what The Rock wanted, right? The Rock wanted the future of Black Adam to be Black Adam facing off against Superman, and so he put that in place. Well, rumors started circulating that not only was there originally supposed to be a Shazam cameo in Black Adam, but that the Justice Society, which appeared in Black Adam, was supposed to make a cameo in a post-credit scene of Shazam 2, and that in both instances, Dwayne Johnson put a stop to it. That Dwayne Johnson, that Dwayne Johnson interfered and said, no, Shazam can't be in this movie. And that Dwayne Johnson said to the production of Shazam 2, no, you can't have you no. You can't have the Justice Society in your in your post-credit scene. And some of the blame, I mean, whenever something does poor financially, 
in Hollywood, you know, the first thing we start doing is we try to start pointing fingers. Well, what caused this? Whose fault is it? Why, you know, why did it do poorly? And so naturally, when these rumors started circulating, some of that, some of that finger pointing started going towards Dwayne Johnson and people wanted to, to sort of say, well, you know, then this is why Dwayne Johnson's the reason why these films underperformed. And that's a lot of crap because, (laughs) because I'll tell you right now, the Justice Society showing up in a post-credit scene of Shazam 2 would have done nothing, if very little, towards saving the box office numbers of Shazam 2. Henry Cavill showing up in Shazam, or in Black Adam, didn't save Black Adam. Yeah, did not fix Black Adam. (laughs) Um, I think there's a little more to be said about, you know, would... Would Zachary Levi's, would an established character like Shazam, most people loved the first Shazam movie. So would Zachary Levi showing up in Black Adam, not in a post-credit scene, but actually in a role in the film, had they used that in the marketing, would that have driven numbers? Maybe a little, but it wouldn't have made it a financial success. But th- these were just rumors, Right. It, 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 did did Dwayne Johnson do this? Uh, I don't know, just rumors. Until a couple of days ago when Zachary Levi was asked, did this happen? Did, did, is this true? Did, did Dwayne Johnson get in and meddle and interfere and try to stop, you know, this from happening because the rumors there was additional parts of the rumors that that you know Dwayne Johnson did not want. Black a, a Black Adam and Shazam universe. He wanted a Black Adam and Superman universe, and that he had no interest in the Shazam character, which is also crazy because it'd be crazy if that were true. Because it, Shazam and Black Adam are the they're the yin and yang, right? They're the the Batman and Joker. They're the the Superman and Lex Luthor, right? That's that's just. It's, yeah, you you know, eventually you can't have one without the other. Well, when asked, Zachary Levi gave not a answer that said, yes, absolutely, that's what happened. And I'm mad. And screw Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> Zachary Levi simply said, the truth shall set you free. And he walked away. <laughs> Which is, I think... Pretty much some concrete confirmation that, yes, these rumors are, in fact, true. Um, And then there were additional rumors that, like, Dwayne Johnson wanted to over, that he basically wanted to take over and run DC prior to to the James Gunn thing happening, so on and so forth. And, And those are all just, again, speculative. We don't know, right? We may never know unless Dwayne Johnson comes out and says, yes, that's what I wanted. You hear this, you hear that Dwayne Johnson meddled, he interfered, he put his foot down and said, no, no, you can't have these characters in your post credit scene. These characters are, are in our movie. Black Adam, Black Adam is the movie with the Justice Society in it. And vice versa, they wanted to have Shazam show up in a cameo, which it seems like a completely reasonable, that's not like a bizarre, oh, well, why would Shazam show up in Black Adam? Like, that's a, that's a sensible cameo. Yeah. And Dwayne Johnson said, 
Hell no. No, no. No, we're not going to have Shazam in this movie. This is a Black Adam movie. This is a Black Adam movie, and we're going to set up Black Adam and Superman as, as being foes. And that is what this is about. And Zachary Levi said, the truth shall set you free. What are your thoughts on all this? I I don't think it's a stretch. I think <laughs> it's a a big movie star meddling in a franchise and killing it has happened before. Um, but there's uh, kind of a quick kind of tangent as an example, like um is it was it paramount that was trying to set up the monster verse who made the mummy movie with Tom universal Cruise? um it was universal universal the universal monster verse was supposed to be this big thing like they were going to do for monster movies what uh, disney had done with marvel but tom cruise wanted to be this that like everything to isolate around him and you he got it written into his contract that he had to be in like every movie and no 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 so, something like this right and essentially killed killed the monster first because well now we have to pay tom cruise a billion dollars every time we, we make a movie around this universe is this confirmed anyway, like what is uh, uh my source would have been is for hearing about this was is from the universe uh, from the YouTube channel Fact Fiend. Okay, I really like that channel. It's a great channel. That guy's awesome. Um, so I don't know. Te you can take from it what you will. You take it with a grain of salt, but it's take it for the grain of salt. Possible, but yeah. the the guy who writes all the articles on Fact Fiend and is for the until recently was like the main the main face of the channel. He's he's extremely well read and uh, researched when it comes to this kind of stuff. So I think that there's quite a bit of accuracy there. Personally, uh, I, I give him the benefit of the doubt <laughs> when he says something. But like, yeah. So for a star to kind of wiggle their way in and beat their chest and and kind of force their own personal agenda and um brand to make so that they can kind of be the face of something doesn't surprise me. Um, the article I've, I, I read when I Googled this, uh, from our show notes kind of like the, 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 um, quotes in the article about people talking about it. Like there's this one, this is a really good quote. Uh, I'll read it by alienating an established property that has character has his character was born out of. So this is Dwayne Johnson alienating his, his character from Shazam born out of and refusing to integrate with other established characters. Johnson systematically crippled two franchises and is, and harmed the DC in the pro harm DC in the process. So like that, if, if, if he has kind of screwed with Shazam and black Adam to make, to kind of make, make himself the star, 
then yeah, okay. I can see, I can see how that might've hurt Shazam too. But the fact that he's not even in the film makes it harder to, to believe. But at the same time, if, if he were to have instead, um, how do I put this? If he were to have took on the character of black Adam selflessly to portray the character as best possible, then black Adam would have been the main antagonist in Shazam too. Yeah. And, and not, uh, and what, well, and, and Shazam would have showed up at, instead of Superman. Yeah. Post credit. But instead we have Johnson and this is another, there's a, I, I don't know if I can find it here. Yeah. Another quote. I don't know where these quotes are coming from. They're from whoever the, the article is talking to. It's not, they're not quotes from any of the stars. I don't think but they're they're really telling kind of they're really good thoughts on the on the whole situation. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, uh he it, yeah, Johnson this, is, this quote I'm just going to abbreviate it instead of read it. Yeah. This one quote's talking about how Johnson tried to create something like Batman versus Superman between himself and and um, Henry Cavill <clears throat> instead of because it was a you know bigger name. So I don't. I just yeah. I I think the movie should have been able to stand on its own in terms of Shazam too. But I I definitely don't have a hard time believing that The Rock screwed with. Uh, the process and then by by doing so screwed up both movies yeah like another good example of this is like in fast of the furious the one of the ones that the rock is in the rock is in it and jason statham's in it and of course vin diesel's in it all three of them have no lose clause is in their contracts and for their characters and mm-hmm. I think we've talked about this before, which is just stupid. Like if your character can't ever lose that, that makes him a very uninteresting character. Yeah. It's just ego. It sounds yeah. like ego got in the way and yeah. Yeah. So shame. I don't have a hard time believing that the rock screwed with the process and hurt both films. Yeah. It's not, it's not a stretch at all for me to believe that. So yeah. yeah. And if, if it, if that's the case, then, you know, there's this, we've, we've seen the results. Cool. All right, moving on. There is a person in Hollywood who you may not know the name of. I might say this name and you go, uh, who? The name is Victoria Alonzo. Do you, do, you, do you know that name or is that a who? Nope. Yeah, okay. So Victoria Alonzo, I'm going to run down her. She's a producer. Okay, she's a Hollywood producer. I'm going to quickly run down Victoria Alonso's producing credits here. And I want you to tell me when you notice an outlier, when you notice a real issue. Okay? Okay. So, uh, 
Victoria's producer credits. Uh, Sorted Lies. Lives. Sorted Lives from 2000. The Sixth Day is a as a visual effects producer. The Sixth Day, Shrek, Cats and Dogs, Darkness Falls, The Core, Big Fish, Fifty First Dates, Kingdom of Heart, uh, Kingdom of Heaven. Okay. Now okay. we're going to move into executive producer. Now, what happens here is Victoria Alonso begins to work with Marvel, and Victoria Alonso starts out just as, as a you know co-producer with Marvel on a couple of Marvel films and works her way up through the company over the course of 17 years to become not only an executive producer instead of just a producer or co-producer, she becomes the president of production and the president of post-production for Marvel Studios. And that's very uncommon that you would have one person be the president of production and the president of post-production. It's just, it, it's an insurmountable amount of work, right? The, the, the stuff that was on Victoria Alonso's plate is astronomical. And, I'm, and we're going to go through this list, and we're talking about all this because after 17 years, Victoria Alonso has now departed from Marvel. Very suddenly, it would seem. And that's caused quite a shakeup because we're used to this from Star Wars. We're used to, uh, it's, this person's left. This person's not going to do this movie anymore. This person's gone. This person's, you know, whatever. Change of, change of direction, change of this, change of that. We're used to this from DC, we're not so used to it from Marvel. I mean, there's been, you know, originally we're we're going to have Edgar Wright do Ant-Man and then the direction of the movie kind of changed and Peyton Reed took over and so on and so forth. But there hasn't been this like onslaught of high up people departing and leaving and, and now we're not going to have this director. Now we're not going to have that. It, Marvel's been a pretty steady ship as far as who's in place, and what the direction is, and what they're doing. So, as co-producer and visual effects producer, we have Iron Man as a credit. Co-producer, we then have Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America, the First Avenger. Then we move into executive producer. And I'll list the shows first. We'll get the shows out of the way because the, the outlier is not in the shows. Um... And it's worth noting that part of, as president of two factions of the studio and as executive producer, it is in Victoria Alonso's contract that you can't go make movies with other studios. You can't, you can't take your time and your resources and put them into the competition's content, right? You, you, you work with us and yeah. I, that's a, I, if you were going to have to sign that with any studio, Marvel is not a bad studio to sign that with. <laughs> so, executive producer on WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, What If, Hawkeye, Moon Knight, Miss Marvel, I Am Groot, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, Werewolf by Night, Guardians of the Galaxy, Holiday Special, Secret Invasion, Echo, Ironheart, and Agatha, Coven of Chaos. So there's a couple of upcoming ones in there, four upcoming ones. But basically, the gist of that is every... Marvel 
Disney Plus, like DCU proper show that we've gotten, she was an executive producer on. She was also the president of production and post-production. Now, we get into the films that she's been an executive producer on. And again, stop me when you when you pick up on something that, that doesn't sound right. Here we go. The Avengers, Iron Man 3, Thor The Dark World, Captain America The Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers Age of Ultron, Ant-Man, Captain America Civil War, Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Captain Marvel, Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man Far From Home, Black Widow, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Eternals, Spider-Man No Way Home, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Thor Love and Thunder, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Artina, Ar, geez, Argentina 1985, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and The Marvels. Was there anything in there that kind of stood out to you as not sounding right? Yeah, Argentina 1985. That, yeah, what's that what, got to do with Marvel? What the <laughs> hell is that? And so I'll tell you what the hell is that. <laughs> so basically, you have this high-paid, contracted to stick with Marvel and not go anywhere else, producer. And president of production, president of post-production. For the biggest, most successful box office entity in the world right now, which is Marvel Studios. And there's been some some rumors, and there's been some, some backlash, because as president of production and president of post-production, she is she's the taskmaster. She's the one that is is making sure it's her job to make sure that the stuff that are, is supposed to be in production is in production and that once it's out of production, that the post-production is getting done so that this film or television show comes out on time, which when you factor in that we're talking about every single MCU project and we take a look at how often those things come out and how many projects there are, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous for one person to do and how she's done it. Nobody knows, but she's done it right now. Delegating (laughs) one of no, no. And so one of the issues that the MCU has been under fire for, for the last couple of years now is the strain that Marvel has put on the visual effects companies, right? Because, Marvel films and Marvel television shows are very effects-dependent, visual effects-dependent. And there's only so many visual effects companies to go around. And a couple of them have started shutting down and going bankrupt as a result of not just working with Marvel, but Marvel's been a big player in it. Because one of the very, very broken systems in Hollywood is how visual effects companies work. Right, So visual effects is not done by Marvel. Marvel farms out, shops out their visual effects shots to effects companies. Now, the way that visual effects had always worked in in Hollywood, and this was a relatively okay model up until Marvel came along, and you had this high demand for a lot of content that was very visual effects heavy. 
The way it works is a studio says, okay, we have X many number of visual effects shots that we need done. And this is when we need it done by. This is what we need done in them. And then these visual effects companies put in their bid to be able to be the ones to to do the shots for this movie. But the issue with this has become that let's say there's five visual effects companies and one visual effects company says, well, we can do it for this. And the next visual effects company that is just as good and just as talented and just as reputable says, oh, we can do it five bucks cheaper. And the next one says, well, we can do it five bucks cheaper than that. You're going to, as a studio, you're going to go with the most economical option out of out of the talented selection that that you know that is presenting their bids to you and so as a result effects companies have started putting in their bids at the lowest bare bones zero margins no profit breakneck prices that they can possibly do because otherwise they're not going to get the job because someone's going to come in a dollar cheaper, five bucks cheaper, ten bucks cheaper, uh, just for easy math, obviously we're talking thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. But it's created a real issue, and it's led to many visual effects companies shutting down. And so when earlier this week, Victoria Alonso suddenly departed from Marvel, and we didn't know if she was fired or if she quit or what happened, but speculation started to happen that this was a firing due to the backlash that has been the strain put on this this like tension that's been created within Hollywood, mainly between Marvel and these visual effects studios, because as her as as the president of post production, it is her job. To, to be the drill sergeant, to be the one cracking the whip to make sure this all gets done when it needs to be done and it's done faster and cheaper and, and you know, whatever else. Well, then we got a little bit more information that came out. That information was that Kevin Feige, that, what, that she was fired and that Kevin Feige was unable to interfere with this firing, that he, it was something mm. he was unable to pre- prevent and that it involved Marvel's legal team and their HR department. And so then all of a sudden it seemed like, okay, this must not be about mm. the visual effects. Because if you have the legal team in there and you have the HR team in there, then something had to have happened. There was an incident or, there, or, or something took place that this is a direct result to one incident. Then it finally came out. We finally got the, the the press release or whatever you want to call it from the legal team from Marvel. <clears throat> and basically what happened was you had this contracted, high-rolling, high-powered exec, president of two different sections, who wanted to also be a producer on this film called Arch- Argentina 1985. And Marvel warned her. Marvel said, if you do this, if you have any involvement with this other film, you will be in breach of contract. Don't do it. We're warning you. And Victoria Alonso basically said, 
go to hell. I'm Victoria Alonso. <laughs> called their bluff. Yeah. And not only <laughs> was she a, not only was she a producer on Argentina 1985, <laughs> she attended the Oscars not with Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which was up for awards, but with Argentina 1985. And so she was fired. And I think this was absolutely the right thing to do. I think as fantastic as she's been in that role, as as superhuman, pardon the puns, as superhuman as, as a job as she's done, you have to get rid of her. She has to go. Because if you have a high up person like that, someone so high up in the chain that everybody else is, is looking to as an example, right? This is not Bob from the sound department. This is, this is the, one of the head honchos here. So head honcho, actually, that many people had been speculating, many industry insiders had been speculating that Kevin Feige was grooming Victoria Alonso to take over for him when he eventually does, because he will someday retire and or depart from Marvel and move on to do other things. That she would take over, that she was the heir apparent to Kevin Feige. And so if you let her get away with this, defy the, her contract, and, and you, like it just sets this impossible to fix and cover up and move on from and gain authority again precedent. So it, it's a shame. It really is a shame because I think she's done a spectacular job. You know, and people go, well, this movie sucked, but that, that wasn't that had nothing to do with her. Right? She wasn't writing the stories. She wasn't directing the stories. She was making sure that shit got done and that things came out when they were supposed to come out. And she's done that in, in, in a way that, that we don't know how she did it. And they've even said now, like people are talking about, this, or like, this, isn't, this isn't a scenario where we need to hire someone now to take over what she did. We need to hire two or three people because it's not a job that one person can do. Even though she's been doing it, again, we don't know how. So you hear this, and that this this high high rolling person over at Marvel has basically, yeah, maybe she wanted out. I don't know, but she's she's thrown away, she's thrown away her position by being on this Argentina 1985, who gives a shit film, in order to. I don't know, have some spice of life, have some variety, but she's lost out on not only being, I can't even imagine the kind of money she was making at Marvel, um, executive producer on all these projects. But again, many people believed that she, excuse me, someday would be the, the head of the studio because <clears throat> no one else was as qualified or as poised to move into that position in the absence of a Kevin Feige. You hear all this? What are your thoughts? I mean, uh, when it comes to this kind of deep stuff on in in the movie biz, I don't I don't really care. Like you know, the Oscars. I don't I don't care. I did listen to that episode, BT Dubs. Only the first fifteen minutes. Once you guys started talking with the Oscars, I stopped listening. So you did hear us. <laughs> you, you, you heard that we could shit talk you. But that was the yeah. Platform. <laughs> but you had to. You would have had to do it at the end of the movie or, or yeah, at the yeah. end of the episode. End of the episode. Or else episode. I would have heard. Yeah. <laughs> so I did hear the 
crap talking at the beginning. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I did. I I don't care too much about about this this stuff. Uh, I mean, as long as an executive or a producer or whatever is not like actively destroying a property I like, then. I could care less if they're doing well, their job it, and they're doing it well. This like could she's a, been doing for years. I mean, this could yeah, put whatever. a kink in the chain moving forward, though. But you know, if if she's got a do not compete clause in her contract, and which I mean, she more than likely does if it's Disney, then her doing this Argentina film and is is potential competition then. They're, they they probably have a lot more than enough legal justification to let her go. Oh, yeah. I guess it just goes and, to show nobody's immune. Yeah. And like you said, you know, like you can't, if you let, if, if, if you're serious about those kind of things in your contracts and you let that slide, then yeah, you set a precedent, yeah. right? You let that, and it's a huge precedent because she's at the top of the ladder. Everyone's looking at her. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Um. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, moving on. Sticking with Marvel, but moving on to our final topic. Jonathan Majors. Kang the Conqueror. All millions upon millions of Kang the Conquerors. Uh, no, sorry, of Kangs. Kang the Conqueror, Kang the Conqueror's gone. He's dead. He's, he's an individual. Who yeah. knows why Kang the Conqueror's already dead, but whatever, that's... <laughs> Stupid, but neither here nor there. Uh, Jonathan Majors, who not only played a big role in um, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, he was in Loki, and it's clearly where we're headed with the MCU in his role as Kang, because we have Kang Dynasty, Avengers Kang Dynasty coming, has been arrested, and has had assault charges pressed against him for strangulation of a woman. Now, um, it's still very early on in this process, and Jonathan Major's legal team have said that they have video evidence and testimonies that are going to disprove any of these charges and allegations. And so it's it's very possible More than that, that he prove will be the opposite. Yes, yeah. And so it's very possible that he will be acquitted. But it's also possible that he won't. We don't know. We have obviously we haven't seen these videos. We haven't seen whatever that that sounds like you know a typical legal team jargon, right? Your your legal team's not going to come out and say, you know, yep, he did it, <laughs> right? Like so, yeah. we don't know. But that's not what they're paid to do. <laughs> so we're going to tight. We're going to talk in hypotheticals here. What will happen if? He is acquitted. Well, if he's acquitted, then a month from now, we will have forgotten all about this and the ship will move on the way the ship's going to move on. If he's not, if he's found guilty and I, uh, possibly serves jail time, I don't, I, who knows, um, then what would happen hypothetically in that situation? Well, it depends entirely on Marvel because if he's found guilty of this and 
and gets in, and, and this becomes very serious very quickly. Jonathan Majors will not be king moving forward. Um, he just won't. Pretty hard to, to do. <laughs> and and in many ways, Jonathan Majors he'll be he'll be done. Like his his career will be done. It will take a very long time to recover, if if recoverable at all. <clears throat> And so it depends entirely on Marvel. One of two things will have to happen. Either Marvel will have to go, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. And completely, Kevin Feige will have to completely restructure what the plan is moving forward. <clears throat> and they will have to cancel Kang Dynasty and they will have to rewrite movies upon movies worth of storyline moving forward at very short notice. Like these things, King the Dynasty is already in pre-production, right? Like this is not like, oh, the film's three years out still. So, I, you know, whatever, just change your idea. No, no, like you're talking about post-credit scenes, maybe things that are already shot in upcoming films. We don't know if there's like a Kang Easter egg or something that's going to happen that is pushing towards Kang Dynasty in Avenge- or in um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which comes out very soon. Right. Right? Like it is, yep. could be astronomical. He, he can pop up. At this point, he can pop up in any film Anywhere. at any time. Or, or. Or TV show. Or Marvel has to have the guts and the nerve to recast Kang, to change the actor. Yeah. And, you know, it's it, it can always be a little jarring when we see it happen. It was a little jarring when Terrence, uh, Terrence Howard left as Rhodey and, and Don Cheadle took over. Yeah, and well, a it was little, a little bit. It was one film, but it was still like, yeah. yeah. It was a little bizarre when Edward Norton was all of a sudden out and Mark Ruffalo was in as as Hulk. Yeah. But we moved on. And yeah. but what made that a little more difficult is because it it, it just kind of seemed to happen like there wasn't a lot of like it would the reason mm-hmm. for it wasn't in the public eye. Well, and there was but it, even even though it was jarring though, we need to kind of take into account that it was jarring but it was um, uh, like we, we acceptable, and mostly because it was in the infancy of the DC universe. Absolutely. At that point. Absolutely. Jonathan Majors has been in in Loki and in in a major um, box office picture now. Yeah, but I still think so, I still I would I still know. argue that it's actually easier and going to be less less complicated to recast this character because mm. like I said these other two recastings or other recastings that you might do when they're simply like money related or contract negotiation related that is so far under the surface so <clears throat> far away from the general public eye that mm. people go Oh, what the hell? That's a different person. Whereas, so you think people's perceptions of Jonathan Majors are going to make it easier to accept a new 
character playing the new actor playing I, I, the role. I think no one will question it. I think if if tomorrow a new king, you know, if if Jonathan Majors is found guilty and and next month a new movie comes out and Kang's in it and and I mean obviously we're I'm fudging timelines here, but you know, if if the next time they put Kang into something, it's a different actor. I think the average audience is going to go uh, yeah, we get it. Like it sucks, but yeah, I mean, you had to. <laughs> like you know, you had to, and so we get it. We get why it's someone different, right? If if Ezra Miller never shows up as the Flash again after the Flash movie, no one's going to ask why, right? Like it, it, we'll, we'll get it because it's been so in the public eye that it's it's you know it's it's very similar to like. Well, you know, William Hurt you used to play Thunderbolt Ross and 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 now it's Harrison Ford. Why would they change? Oh, William Hurt died. Okay. It had to be someone different. Michael Gambon took over for Richard Harris as Dumbledore. Yeah, well, Richard Harris passed away. This wasn't just like a simple little like, oh, Richard Harris wanted too much money for the third one and so behind the scenes we recast him and, you know, blah 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 blah. Right, it was the same reason everyone. Not everyone was happy about it when um, Mads Mikkelsen replaced Johnny Depp as Grindelwald in the Fantastic Beast movies. But the the, the public people understood what the studio's thought process was. The the public image of Johnny Depp was there because he was in the middle of the Amber Heard trial. So I think I think the smartest thing to do at this point is just recast. If this happens, again, this is hypothetical, right? Jonathan Majors may be Arkane moving forward because he's acquitted and he didn't do anything wrong. But hypothetically, <sighs> if having Jonathan Majors as Kang moving forward is not an option, I think the smartest thing to do is recast because you've you've got these well-thought-out storylines put in place and it's going to be a shit show if you have to change everything now. And... And I think the audience, for the most part, will accept it because it will be, you know, big enough news what happened with Jonathan Majors, especially if he goes to jail. Everyone will know. And it will, you know, maybe we won't like the new casting. Maybe we'll wish that it was still Jonathan Majors, but we'll get it. We'll understand why it changed. Maybe be better. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Um... Yeah, man. Uh, well, I mean, in terms of like the so, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's we like there's this whole world we live in now, especially the Hollywood world of this kind of cancel culture stuff, <laughs> which kind of is very mob mentality driven and uh, guilty until proven innocent driven. So he has, yeah, he has the very real potential of just being straight up quote unquote canceled here anyway. Um, I mean, the, the United States army has already hit pause on two recruiting uh, ads that he's part of. They're not airing them anymore so rightfully so rightfully so until we know you know yeah but like so like like 
the legal system in North America is you're innocent until proven guilty. But then that legal system doesn't have any kind of bearing on on the social and cultural uh is zeitgeist the right word here sure i don't know which which then ultimately dictates what is good business and what is bad business right audience audience perception is kind of what you have to base off of so yeah they the, the army pausing these 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 ads right they want it they want to pause them until they get uh, a bearing on what what uh what the court system says right okay that's fair do you do you just does does marvel like is are we are we asking the question like does marvel just recast him now is that what we're saying no, I, it, hypothe- I, no, I guess my question would be hypothetically if Kang is not – if if Jonathan Majors is not an option moving forward, do they rewrite or do they recast? Oh, they recast. You recast. We've we've talked about this before and we're in agreement that the actor serves the character, right? When, when the character starts to serve, serve the actor, you end up with – BS like what uh, Dwayne Johnson Dwayne Johnson has done that we just talked about, right? The actor the actor sh- should always serve the character first and do what's best for the character and and the property that the character is a part of, and you'll get a far better product when that happens. Yeah. So yeah, if if it comes a time they need to make a decision about because he can't play the role anymore, you don't. You've already established that Kang is a major threat. You can't just all of a sudden ignore the threat. Mm-hmm. So, you know, cast somebody else. Cast John Boyega, right? <laughs> I'm yeah. sure he would kill the role. I'm sure. That's, yeah. he'd, he'd do great, right? Like there are lots of great actors that could play that role and and just do it super well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, cast cast somebody else. I think we agree. Yeah, that's what you got to do at this point. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's 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 it. That's that's all the news. No more. No more. I mean, more any, next week. Any personal news happen over this past hour and a half? <laughs> no. I mean, Two I really got to pee. But yeah, me too. Yeah. Man, so, these news segments are getting a little long. <laughs> so thank you for listening. <laughs> As quickly as possible. Thank you for listening. Uh, no, thank you. check out our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all posted down below. Check out our Patreon. Great way to support the show. Mm-hmm. Get some fun little perks for yourself. Uh, and check out our merch page. We got merch. 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 Get your merch. Get, get your it while merch. It's, get it while it's hot. Hot off the presses. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And until next time, when Carl and I have... Uh, Empty bladder. That, well, that's it. That's all I got. Yeah. Yep. We're going to go pee go now. Empty my- <laughs>